millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh, I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What did you know? I'd like to stay alive. I'd say it to you, I'll say it to you now. I'm down 12 fields and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you showing me, man? Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captains Football. Ah, screw it. I'm going to call it the final Irish Times Second Captains World Cup podcast. Murph is here. Hello there, Owen. And for the first time in about five weeks... Ken is here. Owen, how you doing? Hey, Ken. Kieran, great to see you. Hey, Kenny. Great to have you back. No, thanks, Ken. You look, uh, you look fine. I, you know, I don't look great. I'm, I realised something over there. I think I may have even said as you already. The humidity is great for for my hair. Yeah, it would. I would get another couple of years out of this easily I, I if, I, if I lived in a climate like. It's just, it, I don't know. It, it volumizes, like, does it? It just, it just has a. I'm, you know, I just, it just looks much better. Yeah, you're, it's much better spread over the full totality of your dome there. Yeah, whereas here, you know, the air's a little drier. Maybe it's a little windier, mm. and somewhere or other, then you know the result is just that little bit more sparse and flyaway, <laughs> you know. Um, so uh, that's one thing that I'm trying to acclimatize to. I don't know though. Myself and Murph both happened to bump into your exact double earlier. Ken, I know we haven't mentioned this guy in a long time. The mm. bike courier, yeah, uh, around Dublin. A lot of people have seen this, yeah, this man around the years. The, made the observation over yeah, the his years. His hair is still looking pretty. The re- well, he's not really Ken's that double. They just have somewhat similar hair, and his hair is still looking pretty. Yeah, maybe, good. maybe he's been away in high. We're not really doubles anymore, are we? Well, no. I mean, no one's made that mistake in the. Long no, time. I'm just going to make an observation that he's he's got very thick, lustrous hair. Extremely thick, extremely lustrous hair. The courier. Uh, I think I'm cycling. a couple of years. I think I'm a couple of years older though. You know? Yeah, at high at high speed, uh, you could still, you know, the 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 vitality of the hair was still quite clear to be seen. And he's always at high speed. That guy. He is That's the always, point. He's yeah. just cycling around. Yeah, it's, it's immensely like. powerful hair. I would describe. Yeah, have you got a highlight of the World Cup? Is that too corny a question? I was thinking about that, Owen, and you know, it keeps popping into my head. Mm-hmm. And this is going. People are going to think this is stupid, but. 
fun. Lewis Suarez's goal against England is my <laughs> highlight of the World Cup. <laughs> Lewis Suarez's second goal, I should say. Yeah, I know. I know. That, I mean, why would you pick a, a minor group match? You know, a sort of uh, two quite bad teams who went out early. How could that possibly be the highlight? It's obviously just some anti-English bias, mm. some some awful um, primitivist uh, nationalist sentiment. You know, oh, I don't like the English. No, I think it was just because he hit it so hard. I think. I think it was. I mean, the the way that the game had mapped out up to that point, England had just equalised, had been much better than Uruguay all through the second half, and then, uh, I mean, that was. That was, that was the World Cup. That was World Cup football. Yeah, he did hit it extremely hard. He really... I don't know if... What's the word? Nutted it? He... Something. It's, he it's a sh- it. It's a short word. Beginning, I mean, not many syllables. Mm. He stuck that ball away. He did. He really, With extreme really prejudice. Did. You know, the, that and uh, maybe the Van Persie goal as well. The Van Persie goal. I'm just talking about goals here now. But What about the friendships he made, Ken? You wrote a great article about all of the friends that you made. Your well, media not everyone friends. liked that article. I spoke to one. Uh, I spoke to one colleague who uh, he said, "Yeah, I read that," and then kind of rolled his eyes, uh, almost involuntary. I was like, "Oh, you didn't? You didn't like that?" He's like, "Oh, well, you know, I mean, what are you trying to say? You know, oh, so I'm part of the Borg now. I want to be like part of the Borg." And I was like, "Well, that wasn't, wasn't my intention, but I suppose if that's what you think, then that's what." Then that's what it, I ended up saying. Mm, that's your takeaway from it, sir. That's your takeaway. Uh, yeah, like it was great to be part of a team, to be part of a team of journalists gathering, analyzing, and assembling information. Doesn't happen too often, really. Um, but like, I me mean, don't you don't often come across a story that was the Suarez bite. Yeah, could you not have explained to this journalist friend, former friend of yours, Ken, mm. that um, still friend, still friend, that I mean, I was sad on a but, different you know. footing. Could you not have explained to him? Look, listen, buddy. I mean. We can be part of a team and still be great individuals. You know, yeah. I mean, l- look at the German team. I mean, you're saying Thomas Müller's not great, even yeah. though he's part of the collective. This is all you needed to say to this. You're saying Tony Kroos, you know, yeah. he's not not a good individual as well as a, the ultimate team player. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, that, I think that is an interesting kind of question, though. That that whole thing of, you know, should you work? To, you know, what Gary Neville says he well, he claims I don't believe him, but he claims not to read any media or to pay attention to anything. He doesn't want to listen to anything. He doesn't want the clarity, the originality of his own worldview in any way tainted by extraneous perspectives. You know, he doesn't want to hear... He fears that if he does hear other people talking about these things, they'll start to sort of infect his mind with their points of view, and suddenly he won't be original anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't believe Gary Neville. I think he probably consumes the media voraciously, especially those bits of it that pertain to him. (laughs) But, I mean, like, you know, I I think most people are probably a bit like that. Um, But, you know, should you be like that, or should you sort of say, no, you know, let's all work together for the greater good. Let's all work together for the the good of the story. And also so that our editors don't, um, you know, Sack any individual one of us. <laughs> I mean, there's, sack all of us. there's safety in numbers. <laughs> as long as we've all got pretty much the same point in the story, uh, all our editors have to be equally happy. Uh, I mean, okay, that's or a, equally dissatisfied. That's a cynical. That's a cynical way to look at it. But some, I mean, the point that I was trying to make in that piece, I don't know if people even read it, was that anyone. It would have been impossible for any person working by themselves to actually produce the same story as the group of people were able to produce by... When it came to the Suarez bite. Because, you, okay, this was, the special conditions of it are, you've got this story which is happening, you've got a short space of time, it's not like, say, 
David Walsh's long, lonely pursuit of Lance Armstrong with help from just a couple of other guys over a long period of time. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's like, oh my God, we've all, we've got about you know forty five minutes here, and there's all these things going on. There's people talking in different places in the stadium. You know, different things are happening. There's people reacting in different ways. You know, people. Jim Boyce has sent an email. Does it, does anyone have a line from FIFA? Have FIFA said anything about this? Can anyone get a line? And you know. It, it would be impossible for one person to do it. All you could do would be sit there and, and write a think piece. Mm. Luis Suarez has done it again. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's all you could really do. You know, and you could say, this is terrible. But of course, Jermaine Defoe, you could put in a bit of historical context. Of course, Jermaine Defoe did bite an opponent. Of course, uh, Luis Felipe Scolari was overheard in a dressing room when he was manager of some Brazilian team screaming, I want you to go out there and bite their ears off. So ear biting, ear biting. Yeah, Mike Tyson, of course. Yeah, Mike Tyson uh, had his well, ear bitten. Like Paddy Kenny, yeah. Paddy Kenny, of course, in Halifax yeah. had his nose bitten, not by a friend, not by, not on the football pitch. And still though, in a curry relevant. house at about in, three in the morning. In a, cur- in a curry house, uh, and of course, a footballer not on a football pitch. So you see, in a way, Throughout Luis Suarez, unbelievable, yeah. still unbelievable, because <laughs> he's the third time. You see, that's yeah. all you've been, been able to do. Whereas, it, uh, you know, as it was, we were able to get, like, a bunch of different, um, you know, Diego Lugano was the best. Yeah. Diego Lugano, like, are you sure you saw what happened? Did you see what happened today? Or did you see what happened in other years? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, thanks. But, I mean, you know, without someone who's there to speak Spanish, I wouldn't be able to get Diego Lugano. Those are not the bite marks you're looking for. Exactly. Says Diego Lugano. That's, that's exactly what he tried to do. And wouldn't have, wouldn't have got it myself to tell you that. Can I... Do you mind if I say something controversial, Ken? Um, you know my shock jock nature. It's about to come out. Yeah, well, I, shock I jocks don't you, normally warn people that they're yeah, about to say something controversial. I expected you to say something controversial. Put onto your britches. Yeah, this is about, the, you alluded to, you mentioned Suarez. Did you also just, in passing, mentioned Robin van Persie's oh. goal? I presume the header you're talking about. Yeah. I'm going to make the point that I think that goal was vastly overrated. You're kidding me. No. Nope. That's the best goal of the World Cup by Miles. Disagree. Well, James Rodriguez scored the best goal of the World Cup. Seen James Rodriguez's goal, actually have scored goals like it myself. A lot of people have scored goals like Robin Van Persie's. No. It's just that he had the little dive bit at the end that made it look more spectacular. That, well, a dive. He had the goalkeeper. Yard. The goalkeeper made a mistake. This is my point. Okay, nice long ball, long ball, hmm. nice header, good finish. The goalkeeper essentially gave him the goal by running wildly off his line, and all he had to do. Do you know who scored a lot of goals like this? Ken, the nineteen ninety four World Cup. Remember Kenneth Anderson. Oh, the big yeah. blonde Swedish striker. Big Swede. He scored about five goals, all identical to Robin Van Persie's, just without the dive. <laughs> Martin Dallin got a great headed goal in yeah. USA 94 as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of like the Luis Suarez. He's, what he's done there what is he's there? really stuck his head Lechkov, on one. Lechkov got a good diving yeah. header. Lechkov, he was, he said he was the goal standard. Yeah, I'm being flippant headers. about the Anderson comparison, but no, I... I and I would have Van Persie's in the, sure, in the top, in the goal of the tournament list. I think when you, add, when you add together the fact that it was... Against Spain, 1-0. Remember, Spain are still invincible at this point. This yeah. is still the invincible Spain who nobody could score against, uh, who have who won all the tournaments, the last three tournaments. Um, they're, they're ahead again in this game. You know, Holland are going to lose again. And then there's a 45-yard ball, which Van Persie connects with airborne and lobs the goalkeeper beautifully. I have to, yeah, I have to say that it's not a goal at all that I would say loads of other people have scored. I mean, I think you know, I think that maybe it could, it might have been overstated slightly. I mean, I, th- I thought it was a brilliant. I think goal. it's a goal a lot of other 
strikers could score if they're in a similar yeah, situation. I don't know. I don't, the, I the honestly don't that, know. The, the I wouldn't have expected Van Persie to score no. a goal like that ever. The, what, what struck me watching it was my reaction was very similar to the Zlatan overhead against England in yeah. that he, what he, the, he's managed to contort his body in a way that I just I, I wouldn't have been able to envisage as the ball was going through the air. Yeah. And for that reason, like the ingenuity of it yeah. I actually love. Can you Good imagine British. the Robin Van Persie of the quarter or semi-final trying that <laughs> header? He just <laughs> would have <laughs> flopped straight down on his face. He was a totally different player. No, he would have just been offside, yeah. which is where he spent the entire... Offside and puffing really heavily. Yeah. Grey-faced Van Persie. But that goal, not it wasn't just the spectacular nature of it, it was also the, the sort of um, what it did to the match. Spain were yeah. just completely stunned by it. Yeah, that's true. And it was, it was kind of a, wow, hang on, they can do that? It was like... Jesus, we we thought we were safer than we were, you know. Holland can Holland can do some pretty amazing things. Um, the, the Dutch suddenly were infused with disbelief. Hang on a second, these guys aren't all that. You know, we can actually score. There's nothing there's nothing special about them that stops us from being able to score in the same way we can against the normal team. And it completely changed the momentum of the game. One of the best games of the World Cup. I mean, it was probably a better game than the seven one. It wasn't as Shocking, uh, yeah, because well, it, wasn't, it wasn't, it, yeah, it wasn't a million miles off being a shocking yeah. at the time, though. Yeah, it was, and and because Spain sort of came out, but Holland just played so well. I mean, the Robin goal at the end of that game as well was just fantastic. So, yeah, still just great. about Suarez, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Lampard. Richie Sadler has joined us in studio. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? We're pretty good. Uh, how are you? Are you in post World Cup decompression mode? Um. I don't know what the question means exactly. Are you, Decompression are you, are you, mode. Are chilling out after the World Cup? Yeah, I am chilling out. Um, I've got plenty of free time, which I'm loving. But yeah, I loved the last month. It was brilliant. Are Every you, second of it. Did we want it to go on for longer? I think you wanted it to go on for longer again. Well, I mean... You were enjoying yourself. If they'd said, we have to replay the whole second phase, mm. it wasn't good enough, we have to do it over, yeah. I would have said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll change my bookings. I'm prepared to do this. I'm that committed to the game. I don't think uh, anyone's arguing with Germany as world champions, but I know Ken has a bit of a bean is bonnet about, I guess, the fact that everything now that Germany have planned has been is deemed as being perfect over the last 10 years. And, and everything about Leo Messi that we feared actually came to fruition, that he actually can't do it in the World Cup final stage. And maybe the, the result just sways everything. Am I right? Am I putting words in your mouth, Ken, or is that essentially your... No, well, I just think it's, I mean... It's amazing how one detail makes so much difference to everyone. It's kind of like that movie Sliding Doors on. I mean, it's Gwyneth Paltrow, isn't it? If Gwynny gets on the train, um, uh, you know, she's rushing to get the train. And if she manages to make it on the train, suddenly her life unfolds in a completely different way than if she, oh, I haven't made the train. The doors just closed in my face. And suddenly everything, everything is completely different from that point on. And so Bastian Schweinsteiger... Uh, is now being celebrated as the greatest German national hero since the 19th century. <laughs> um, Joachim Love, a similar, uh, a great leader, um, you know, I mean, a great leader of, of men, a great leader of football players, uh, a great ma- a great uh, coach. And this is all based on Mario Götze having been the guy who scores the goal in the final and not Palacio the Argentinian. If every single detail of the World Cup, everything, every single thing about it had been the same until the last period of extra time and then the goal had gone the other way, it just makes all the difference to the rest of these guys' lives, mm. which seems a little yeah. bit harsh. I mean, because 
Schweinsteiger and Love, for instance, didn't even really have anything to do with what happened. They were just watching it the same as everyone else. But it determines how they're going to be viewed by their uh, compatriots for the rest of their lives. But isn't that the nature of the thing? I agree with you that it's, it's, it's completely flawed to jump to, 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 to reach all those conclusions based on a 90-minute result or a, or a half-hour period of extra time which could have been decided for reasons which had nothing to do with the conclusion you come to at the end. But like even with the Messi thing, which we've discussed in previous weeks, like had he won the World Cup, like he's apparently a great player, but it might not have, he might not have been the single most important influence on a final result. Yeah. And like the German youth structure like is now the greatest thing ever. Whereas I would have thought you could reach a verdict on the German youth structure by actually assessing what they've done. And in fairness to, in the case of Germany, I, I do feel that there has been a consistency about it. They and, and they had to suffer the other end of this two years ago and four years ago, where they're reaching semi-finals, they're reaching finals, and they're losing. And then it's deemed by their they're deemed by their public to be losers. heartless losers. So psychologically like, weak. Yeah. So of all teams, I think it's probably fair enough that Germany maybe you know take the rub of the green on this occasion and get, have themselves hailed because they actually have proved themselves to be at least in the top one or two teams in the world over the last few years. Yeah, and I mean they definitely have. I do. I do wonder though. I mean. I mean, what Richie's saying is basically, yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of grim to assess these things based on what happened. On the other hand, that is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> this is just the way that it went. But then it has to, the, the other side of it has to be that Lionel Messi, you know, on the greatest stage of all, flopped. He was given the golden ball and it's a moment of excruciating embarrassment for him and for everybody you know, every everyone in the stadium is just going, "Oh, I can't believe they've done that to Messi." <laughs> is there any? Is there any? Because in a way, it almost it, it emphasised the embarrassment of what had happened, because he only got the award because of his status in the game. You know, it was a recognition of the fact that he's Lionel Messi, and they just wanted to give it to the biggest star, and so it kind of cruelly rubbed in the fact that he had been unable to perform, and I wonder if that. Is, I mean, is it going to mark his career? If that's the, uh, kind of a final judgment in a way in his career. You've got Pele, Maradona, and then you've got Messi on a level just below. But that's up to people, isn't it, though? Like, you can sit there and decide that your criteria for greatness is that you've got to play well and win a World Cup final. And that's fine, that makes sense in your head. And you might say, well, Pele said this and Maradona said that, and they were really good players, therefore I'm going to take on board everything that those two say. Or you can sit there and go, well, here's my view of greatness. That's what Messi's done. My view of greatness matches with what Messi's done for the last number of years. The thing that struck me... It doesn't me matter whether he's played well or won a World Cup final to me. Was that, you know that Maradona, the, the Argentina song that they're singing all throughout the World Cup? Mm. And like, oh my God, I just heard it so much. But the last line of the song is, Maradona is greater than Pele. They could never sing that about Lionel Messi now. No, I mean, the Brazilians would just laugh. They'd be saying, whoa, Messi? Messi's the guy who we saw in our stadium, pale, shuffling around like a ghost, uh, unable to See, there to you do. go. So you're, you're judging, you're, you're, you're Pelé, saying Messi... Pelé won three World Cups. You know, get back to me when Messi has scored a goal in a World Cup knockout game. Okay, well, that's you know, your... No you Argentinian saying... is ever going to put Messi in a song like that. That's what, that's what it means. Right, but do you believe, are you acting the goat here to, to get a debate? Or do you, do you believe this? Like, do you believe it's, that well, Messi true. isn't? But it's, no, I mean, it's true. This is, the, this is like, this is, I mean, I think it's, it's really, I mean, I'm trying to make sense of it in my own head. It's, it's harsh, but that's the truth. I mean, he has been this incredible player in club football. The best player there's ever been in club football. No one has ever been as consistent as him, won as many things, scored as many goals in, in 
such a space of time. I mean, the five years, the six years, whatever that he's had in you know the mm. recent, most recent at Barcelona, have been unbelievable. He scored more goals than he's played games. I mean, who's who's done that over that kind of period of time? Mm. Won the Champions League twice, won all kinds of things. Been the best player in the world four years in a row. But no Argentinian could ever put that he was better than Pelé in a song, because Pelé won three World Cups. And you know what's interesting about it is that. He, it looked as though maybe over the last five or ten years, international football was possibly in danger of losing its place within the game, which it now has regained with great triumph in this tournament. So suddenly, maybe it's Messi's. It's unfortunate for Messi that his failure in this final uh, and maybe in the latter stages of the tournament it comes at a time when everyone decides that international football is actually the most important thing. Exactly. Again. How many times in the last decade would you have said in a discussion about how good a footballer is, you said, well, he hasn't done it in international football yet? Where would you have ranked international football at any point over the last decade in terms of a conversation about a player has to do it at that level? It's almost always in connection with Messi, actually, and the World Cup. Uh, that that's that's the one guy who actually probably has had yeah. to. I, I just don't. I, I can't. I know, and I know because it's said so many times by so many people. It's like I understand why people think it. I just don't know why a seven-game tournament of international football, which you're up against teams which are far inferior to teams you will be up against in the Champions League tournament, for example, which he has excelled at. Why you would judge him or put such massive importance on his performance over seven? And which, I mean, he had some very bright moments in those seven games. He didn't have great last two or three games. Because every single... The thing that FIFA puts on their website, they have a couple of different things that they like to... Different genres of story they like to put up on their website. One of them is... FIFA Technical Study Group announces finding, and you've got Jared Houlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is know. Andy Roxburgh still on that? He I don't know if he's still. 20, mm. 30 years. I'm not sure, but Jared Houlier is there sort of beaming. Oh, he's always at the front of the photograph now. He's, he's kind of become the, the, uh, the big dog of this, of this world now. He used to be sort of in the second row, but now he's front and center. Um, but they like to put up technical study. The other uh, story that they like to put up is um, FIFA World Cup match between X country and Y country breaks uh, viewing records in X and Y countries. And so if you go there, I think at this probably the top story at the moment is highest uh, audience ever recorded in Germany for any television broadcast. Uh, some 37.4 million people, I think, watched the final. Um, highest, the Netherlands against Argentina was the highest uh, audience ever recorded on television in the Netherlands, breaking the record, which was the World Cup final from four years ago. So that's why it's important, because this is the... This is the match that everybody watches. This is the moment that everybody has agreed to set aside. You know, the world, not everybody in the world is paying as much attention to football week to week as, as we necessarily are. You don't believe this. This is the you, time. I'm listening this is to, the, you don't believe what you're saying. No, that, because that's what makes it important. The fact that... Viewing figures is, from TV. Yeah. Decides, this, like, greatness. But viewing figures from TV equals, equals audience, equals... This is, these are the biggest matches. These are the ones that are most important to people. And you, you, you can tell that by the fact that these are the... the these are the matches that most people watch. And Lionel Messi's performance in that final has been watched by more, uh, more people than any match that he's ever played before. And that's why it's so important in determining his, his exit. This is the kind of time the world sets aside, every, uh, sets aside every four years for football. And if you can do it when everybody is watching, then uh, ha- hang, maybe ha- Hang on. You're, if you can do it when everyone's watching, 
Yeah, I mean, it's like a, lot of, a fair few people have watched Barcelona over the last few years. Yeah, I'm sure the University winning, winning the Spanish I'm League, sure. winning the Champions League. For instance, you always hear, I mean, I remember you, Alan, Why are we putting such importance on the, on the opinions of people who, by definition, don't generally watch football? They only come in on the big occasion. Why because is their view to, here to be. Well, the, it's, the, one, it's the one man, thing. one vote. We're all human beings. Uh, you know, this, this is a. I, I would put a higher vote soul. on the person who watches Messi play or watches European football than the people who breeze in every four years and go to the World Cup final on, let's have a family barbecue and let's watch it. The audience does matter, though. I mean, for in, if, if not, then why is Aidan McGeady never talked about when we talk about Ronaldo, Messi, and so on? Oh, you, you can answer that, surely. Well, I've been to see Aidan McGeady in training in Malahide, and he has done some <laughs> unbelievable things. He's done amazing things. I mean, I, I remember I said it to you before, I said McGeady, top tip, for this game, McGeady is oh, yeah, hot, really, hot, hot yeah, in training. I've really never he's ripping it up. And you said, it's only training, it doesn't matter. Well, why does it not matter? It doesn't matter because there's nobody there. It's like a tree that falls in a forest and there's nobody there. It doesn't make a sound, it doesn't matter. Okay, that, that, that would tie in in a discussion about Messi if consistently over the years you could link his poor performances to big audiences or big attendances in crowds and he flops. And you would come into this tournament and say, well, do you know what, there's a big question mark over Messi because every time it's of a, mat- a game of importance, this fella goes missing. Now, nobody can say that about Messi. You, you just can't. So, like, his poor performances over the last month could have been down to any number of factors. Tiredness, fatigue, he's played a rake of games, all of those things, or he may not just have played well. A lot of players in any sport can have a dip in form. It doesn't mean he's not great. It doesn't mean he has to be spoken about in less terms. It doesn't mean he's not great. He's just not as good as Pelé. That's where we're, that's what we're at. Do you want to hear who's on the technical people technical group? Yeah. Some of the more recognisable names are Gerard Houdet is there. Uh, Sunday Elise. Sunday Elise oh, is yeah. on that. And Mixu Padalainen. Oh. And some other guys. Anyway, all of them decided <laughs> together that they're, uh, that Leo Messi had a better tournament than any And they else. also gave the golden glove to Manuel Neuer, mm-hmm. which I was pretty impressed by. Not many, not many men can get away with an attempted murder in front of a record global TV audience you're and walk away, with, the, walk away with a prize. You're talking about the controversial tackle on um, Higuain in the final. Well I, well, I thought it was unbelievable. I, I couldn't believe he got away with it. I mean, how, how, how do you get away with that? I'd be interested to know what you felt. Because, I mean, I spoke to quite a lot of people about this, and a lot of people were like, well, I mean, but the ball was there. The ball was there, I think. <laughs> no, he's entitled to go for that ball. Is he entitled to go for that ball? I've never seen a goalkeeper do that before. I've been torn on this one. I, I honestly, I've yeah. been torn from the moment it happened because, uh, okay, it was essentially what he, the, the ultimate result in, in what he, in his action was that he need Neuer in the head. Uh, uh, he need Higuain. Um, yeah. Higuain and, without, and Higuain wasn't really even stooping. So I guess it's dangerous because it's a high, it, you know, you can't put your knee or your leg that high. And if that happened in the middle of midfield, for example, it would be, it would look ridiculous and it would be quite clearly a red card, I would say. But say it happened in the middle of the box. If, Neuer's coming out for, for, for a corner kick. Ball's hanging up in the air, swinging out. He's chasing after it. He's made a decision to come. He's going to punch it or he's going to try to catch it. And he takes a couple of guys out in that manner. I don't know if people are calling for a penalty then. Well, but they, I don't think they are because uh, I think it's seen that a goalkeeper has to command his area. Where it looked strange, I think, was the area of the pitch that had happened. The fact that it was on the edge of the box and that Neuer's probably the only keeper in the tournament who would even have gone for that, that what ball. What did he do and go for that ball, by the way? Well, that's his, that's his thing. That's it. 
Yeah, and now he's 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 getting encouragement encouragement from the global reaction. He's do, like, do, well, but, I got away with that one. But do you take my point he's that if that happened in the middle yeah, of the boxing, you take your own man he, out, you take their guys but out. The thing, the difference between that and say the the kind of thing that you see often at a corner kick, for instance, is that the forward isn't running at top speed at a corner kick. He's he's kind of. He might have jumped for a ball or he might be standing there. And maybe a goalkeeper but, can't quite get that elevation either because he's not running out. No. <laughs> so, so you got this this bizarre situation of a guy who weighs nearly fit, probably 15 stone, the biggest man on the pitch, certainly, running at top speed towards another guy who's actually looking in the other, other direction. He's looking at the ball and you know doesn't have his eye on the goalkeeper at all. And he's also running pretty fast. And the two of them slam together the goalkeeper's knee into the guy's head. How is that not a red card? Yeah. I don't know how there hasn't been a scandal over this. I mean, it's not the first time that we've seen, you know, there, were, there was differences pointed out between the Schumacher, Schumacher-Badistan thing and, and Neuer and Higuain. One of them being that Schumacher didn't go anywhere near the ball. Mm. Neuer got the ball. And the second is that when Higuain was lying there on the ground twitching, Neuer at least had a look over to see how he was doing. Whereas Schumacher... Just sort of was trying to take the goal kick. He was like, "What's the hold up?" He was uh, had the ball. Yeah, there Schumacher to, to this day hasn't kick. shown any contrition, which is still <laughs> annoys the French. But I thought, I thought this is this is uh, this is pretty dangerous. That kind of behaviour should be. I, I, I actually think the first part of the way you differentiated from the Schumacher tackle is really important. I don't think Schumacher had any intention to get near the ball. He decided he was taking a man out, and he did it. And I don't. It didn't look to me like that. Again, you're you're trying to decide what is in somebody's head. But I don't think Neuer made that kind of tackle in the entire tournament, where he just came out and tried to steam out. But it, it's a it's a fair, a fair point that if a striker knows he's going to do this, they'll be quite intimidated by it. It's almost there's a mental advantage straight away to the goalkeeper by being allowed away. I don't know what you feel about it, Rich. You sound like you're a little torn on it as well. I am, yeah. But I think it's one of those tackles, and you see them all over the pitch in in other areas where you know you hear the phrase, "You take the man and ball." Yeah. You know the ball is there to be won, but you know by the way. The position of the ball and, and, and everyone's momentum, you know there's an opportunity here to leave one on your opponent in a way that you can get away with it. You're not going to get booked. You probably won't concede a free kick. Again, it's difficult to know what's going on in Neuer's head, but I think it looked like one of those. He knew he was going to probably win the ball and win a ball cleanly. But because of the way he jumped and the way that Higuain was running at him, he thought, right, I have an opportunity here. I can clobber this fella. Which again, like you said, puts a little bit of doubt. The next time there's a fifty-fifty ball, will Higuain should go it have for been it? a red card? It's very difficult to. to, to I, I find it very difficult to, to decide on that because if you look at the, the collision, there was probably intent. I think his knees were up. I think he knew what he was doing, but he won the ball. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I find it. I find it difficult to make a call on that one because in, I think he probably knew what he was doing. In fairness to the referee. Um, he was probably being consistent with what referees with referees approach throughout the tournament. Can you sent me on some statistics here on yellow and red cards, and people have noted this. World Cup 2006, 345 yellow cards, 28 reds. World Cup 2010, that drops to 241 and 17. And the most recent World Cup, 188 yellow cards and only 10 red cards. 10 red cards in what I think was the probably the filthiest World Cup I can remember since 1990. Yeah, so I wonder, are those things related? I mean, do you get a filthier World Cup? Mm. Uh, I mean, so the, the numbers now are half as many yellow cards as in 2006 and yeah. one third as many red cards, which is like a huge difference. In, in two World Cups, it's an amazing difference because the game hasn't changed markedly, I don't think, in eight So years. they've clearly said, look, we need to start letting some stuff go. Mm. And I wonder what, how much this has to do with American TV. Mm. I actually wonder if 
this is a conspiracy theory. Don't take this seriously if you don't want it. I, I don't know any evidence. It's just my kind of conspiracy-minded um, view of the world. I think that there may have been a conversation at some point with some FIFA FIFA guys and some Americans, some powerful American TV men or women, where they said, you know what the problem is with your game? Yeah. You know, people don't like the players. You know, people have got a certain opinion of what the players, you know, the, like say this bald asshole from the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking Robin there. Is that with the most fictional uh, the most thing? unpopular man in America is Iron Robin? Go on. It's unbelievable. I every single time Holland played in the World Cup, I didn't actually get to see any Holland matches. They were the, one of the teams I didn't see, and so I was watching all their matches on TV. And every single time they played, there was an American there screaming abuse at Iron Robin, screaming, "Oh, come on!" I remember it when Thiago Silva, when Thiago Silva brought him down for the like a blatant professional foul in the third place match, mm-hmm. and this American behind me is screaming at him, "Get up, get up!" You know, oh, you know, and he's swearing pretty pretty heavily at, at Robin. I thought this, is, I was, I kind of turned around to go, I was like, "Look, he, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I couldn't have brought him down like that." I'm like, "Yeah, come on, it's obviously a foul." You know, of course he's going to go down and. I didn't want to say, you don't understand the game. (laughs) 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 But they hate Robin so much, so disproportionately, because there's this sort of macho thing about diving. You know, it's like diving diving is considered to be un-American. It's one of the things that the US MNT doesn't do. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if at some point there was a bit of encouragement given to FIFA to allow football to be a bit more of a contact sport. Not quite back to the old days, you know, where Marco van Basten is hobbling out of the game with calcified ankles at the age of 29 because, you know, he's been tackled from behind five times a match. You know, not maybe not quite to that level, but let a couple of things go. Do you mind if I torpedo your theory straight away? Yeah. Well, if that if that conversation had taken place... I'm not suggesting it did. No, of course. Just that I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it had. But if I was the American TV exec having this conversation with Sepp Blatter, if I had that sort of access, would I not just ask him directly to cut down on the diving? Because that was one thing that was let go even more than the dirty tackles. Right, right up until, weirdly, in the third place playoff, uh, Oscar got hacked down by, I can't remember which of the Dutch defenders, and the poor guy got booked. <laughs> I was there going, Robin's been jumping on the ground, oh, and so have lots of players. And it's funny, because the diving debate is, was quite a big one during the tournament. There were, no, there were hardly any yellow cards. People are always talking about, oh, there should be a three-game ban. Guys should be banned for life for trying to win a penalty they're not quite saying that but I don't, I don't understand the refs just don't enforce the actual rule which is you're supposed to book a guy if they if they dive like that yeah. I, I mean they, they, I think the problem with diving is that it's difficult to tell whether a guy has dived yeah, no, sometimes so if you start really punishing easy, people really harshly then you, you've done it wrong I mean who who was yeah, Oscar Oscar got I remember the, the, it was a foul it was a penalty a foul, yeah. it was it was Daly Blind who fouled Oscar who was then stretchered off with an injury from the collision that the referee claim didn't happen so so the ref is like oh you've dived Oscar there was no collision and then Daily Blind's lying there writhing in agony and he has to be taken away because but if you take that logic to its conclusion again then a referee would never be, make a call on anything contentious I mean their job is to, to see whether a dive or not has happened maybe this is where the fifth official in UEFA games can come in and hmm. linesmen can have more of a say I don't know that's the, an ongoing maybe a TV I mean isn't Sepp Blatter now in favour of TV replays, hasn't yeah. he kind of started saying that? So maybe now he's going to be like, well, maybe we need to look at introducing a television referee. I think the conversation must have happened somewhere, not TV guy to set bladder yeah. conversation, but amongst the referees, 
they, they must have been given a directive at the start. Oh, yeah. They have to have been. And I think it ties in. But, you know, every time you see if, if there's an early sending off in a game, the ref, someone will say, oh, the ref, the ref spoiled that. The referee, or a manager, obviously, of the team who was, had the player sent off will say, the referee spoiled it. Like as if there's a, a responsibility somewhere among the officials to maintain a certain level of entertainment. Yeah. It is, Which it isn't. It is the the referee's of, job there is, is just to make sure everyone stays you're, within you're the thinking, laws. You're thinking, oh, I can't believe that red card and you know red card. Jens Lehmann in the Champions League final is a big a one. Yes. Yeah, and that turned out to be a good game despite that. You know, <laughs> Arsenal nearly did it, but at the same time, they've kind of helped had this sense of injustice. But I wonder though, would it be better? Because I mean, I, I was saying America, you know, Americans don't like diving. Diving is obviously something which creeps more into the game the, har- the stricter the refereeing is the more diving you can get away with because the more things are considered a foul you know mm. what I mean but, may- but, but also they have this I mean maybe among the non-soccer uh, loving Americans they, they have this idea that football players are just weaklings you know this is sport for cowards look, look at these guys you know and, uh, and there's no contact and it's not just America where they think that people in Ireland think the same thing Mm-hmm. You know, people go, oh, look at these rugby players, look at these GA players, look at these men, you know, and then you look at these, it just makes me sick to my stomach to see these guys. That's the thing, is it's because it's seen as so unmanly, it is. unmasculine yeah. and unmacho and, and you can go, there's all sorts of different words you can come up with to describe it as well, but it's that thing, it just offends blokes in the way that other offences are other, exactly, so blokes are not, I'm not here really getting behind these men, if these men are going to tr- yeah. roll around, pretend to be hurt and men don't get hurt no. all that so it really have really you, offends people have you people. seen what happens in the you know do you realise that in a rugby match once uh, a player once cut, pretended to cut himself to, oh no I don't, that doesn't make any sense in the context um, but the, the idea that maybe football as a spectacle would be better with just a little bit of violence I mean it's difficult to control the violence you know it's difficult to say this much and no, no it has a way of kind of flaring up uncontrollably into, into scenes of, of disaster <laughs> But I think to myself then, the worst, the worst match in any of those World Cups, the last three, was the Holland-Portugal one in 2006. And there was, you know, the referee was booking and sending everyone off. And it didn't make any difference. You know, sometimes that, that just happens. But maybe it would be better if you could, you could have a bit of, uh, well, I suppose Manuel Neuer flattening. Um, okay, so Ken wants more lads getting need in the head. Richie, more or less of that. Better entertainment, wouldn't it be? I think you kind of got to a point where... Uh, see, the thing about it is, you talked about the flash players there, maybe. Neymar got away with a red card offence in the first match. Yeah. So it, it, the conclusion to all this was that by the time the final came around, Sergio Aguero could come on, box a guy in the head as he did, um, Bastian Schweinsteiger, in extra time, and nobody even uttered a word. I don't even think the commentators called for a red card. I, was, I looked at the replay and I thought, he, he looked at the player, he ran at him with his fist closed... Caught him under the eye. Schweinsteiger had to go off with yeah, a massive well, cut under his he eye. He was bleeding. It's like, this is not, football has completely changed, so I don't know. All joking aside, I think I, I, I actually don't, I, I understand the letting the game flow and this kind of thing, but they're violent tackles. I think there's just some bad refereeing. The Matweedy one was one that sticks in the mind from the French game. Mm. The knee on Neymar was pretty bad. I know it was probably, you were in Brazil, so maybe you felt there was too much stuff about it, but it was a bad, mm. it was a bad foul. And even how they were dealt with then, we talked about the concussion with Richie last week, but FIFA coming on in this with this weird stretcher and practically flinging uh, Neymar in there. I mean, with the guy, he's just got a serious back injury. <laughs> Steady on. The, the, and I know, I, I think it was Juliet McCor in the New York Times was writing about this, how FIFA are behind on concussions, definitely, and also behind maybe on, on 
player welfare, which is bizarre because it's such a big, such a worldwide sport that you think that there are things that have been happened so much that they'd be on top of them at this stage. But I, for one, can am not backing up your call for more violence in football. No, well, I'm not necessarily calling for it. I'm just wondering if maybe it would be better to have to allow a little bit more of it, like. I think allow a certain amount because there was you've seen games in the past few years where anything any kind of a contact referee blows the whistle mm. and then that just encourages lads then to act the maggot and be diving about because they know the referee is going to give them a free kick but it's getting the balance and I don't know how you do that because every referee will approach it in their own way because if you, if, you, if you give a referee what everyone calls for say let's give them a bit of common sense you're asking for different individuals to apply their own interpretations to what they're seeing which means you're not going to get consistency mm. so now where do you want to draw yeah, it's true. do you know yeah, what I mean you always hear managers we're just looking for common sense but we're just looking for consistency those two things are the exact they're the opposite, opposite. Yeah, if, if yeah. the three of us apply our own version of common sense to different scenarios in different games we're going to come out with different outcomes which is not consistency which is the one thing managers want Richie we'll leave it there you're looking forward to World Cup 26, 2018 already I'm going to be 39. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be six months away from my 40th birthday. You can maybe have an early 40th for the World Cup final. Oh, that sounds so we'll far. It's such an <laughs> awful thought. Richie, we leave it on that awful thought. Thank you. Good luck. You can see the level of expectancy. Coach, this is the game you wanted a victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Oh. Pepe's such an idiot. A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. He was fucking dreadful. Sorry, yeah. We're not out of here. Oh, we're not awake. We are. Oh. Well, I apologise for that, but obviously, <laughs> it didn't exactly to win. All right. Just take it back to Manuel Neuer there, Ken. You're wondering why. Why does he do that? I, I think there may be somewhat something of a self-indulgent element to some of his crazy runs out. Although it was part of a tactical plan. It's branding. Yoga. Yeah, it's brand uh, brand Neuer, but Yogi Love. After, do you remember that one particular game where uh, it was one of the games Mertesacker was playing? Algeria, I think. Mm. Therefore, it was one of the games where the other team realised all they had to do was just slam a ball over the top down the middle somewhere yeah. and then run past the slow defence. He was coming out loads. And like, I think it was after that game that, that uh, Yogi Love said, well, yeah, but I mean, he's an unbelievable footballer. He's as good as any of the midfield. He could play midfield for us. Yeah. I, I often think, do, do the managers mean that? Could Manuel no. Neuer play in midfield? No, he for, couldn't. No. I mean, to be fair, right? He'd be a big... If, if Yogi Love, he's a World Cup champion now. Yeah. I mean, if he wanted to prove a point, I mean, he could definitely play Manuel Neuer. Against Ireland? Against Ireland. Like, like he her. totally could. <laughs> I mean, imagine what imagine he would do. He would, like, bestride that. He, like, Glenn, just swatting Glenn Wheeler aside for, like, just, 90 Just minutes. leaping around the, the centre circle, uh, head high, uh, slamming guys to the ground, cutting them in half. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you know, that's what his game is about. Uh, although, look at Manuel Neuer, the evolution of his career. I mean, I remember saying to you, this guy's going to get lobbed. And then I'd completely forgotten, and it was pointed out to me by a friend, that he was, when he was playing goal for Schalke, Dejan Stankovic scored an unbelievable goal in the Champions League for Inter against Schalke, um, where he slammed it in from the centre yeah. circle. That was Manuel Neuer. Manuel Neuer running out of his goal, heading le- a ball yeah, away. Yeah, it was less a lot. Well, it was a lot. It was like a volley almost. It in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and there was also, I was looking at Manuel Neuer's first game for Bayern Munich. His very first league game at home was against Borussia Mönchengladbach in 2011. And in this game, a ball was kind of booted up and was bouncing towards the edge of the area. So Neuer did what Neuer does and runs out. But the striker get get there just first, just ahead of him, and sort of head of the ball past Norris. And Norris like, mm. and the ball bounces into the net, and it's and they lose one nil. And it's and Norris' quote afterwards was, "Now I look stupid." Um, but Neuer, uh, if you look at that footage of this goal, do you remember that there's a famous photo of the the hand of God goal, the Maradona against Shilton? And it's amazing. The amazing thing about it is that. This five foot six inch <laughs> guy is way out jumping the six foot two inch England goalkeeper. I think Shilton's maybe Shilton's a little shorter than that, but Maradona's actually managed to jump really high. His legs are kind of up in the air, and his you know his his hand is above his head. But Shilton, if you look at him, has managed to get about two inches off the ground. He's like, oh. he's reaching his hands up vertically, and his whole body is almost vertical. So his the technique that he's used to jump is is um, you know. Fair, yeah, yeah. It's like it's a fair way. Of, it's a, it's a normal way of doing it. Neuer, completely different against Higuain. You know that was like flying through the air. You know my knee is kind of jutting out, and sorry if it hits you in the head, but yeah, you know, the ball the ball is there. But if you look at Neuer in that game, I was talking about the, his first game for Bayern. Shilton, he's doing the Shilton thing. So he's obviously a man who learns from his mistakes. He's like, okay, I ended up looking stupid that time, but what if I'd led with the knee? Maybe then it would be the forward who would look stupid. Or at least concussed. Well, you know, I mean, pre- I can't imagine him, you know, passing a, you know, <laughs> concussion test. I suppose it's my lame conclusion there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah. tell you one about that, Blair. People, people who are concussed do, have a, have a, do look quite stupid at times. You know, the kind of glazed uh, eyes, the, the drool coming out of their mouth and all that kind of thing. Not enough for, for FIFA to put in a directive to maybe no. all those guys off. No, but he was fine. He I was might be, I might, yeah, I think I might be boring people with my concussion views at this point. Listen, on you're a man on a mission, and we we appreciate your journalist. Raphael Honigstein joins us now. Raphael, uh, I guess the past two World Cups have been used in some ways to talk about these broader themes with regards to the German team. In 2006, it was the fact that they were playing at home and that supporters, German people, felt maybe for the first time in 40, 50 years that it was okay to to show their nationalism very overtly with the flags and the chants and all that kind of thing. In 2010, it was about the emergence of a multicultural Germany. What is there? Is the inference taken from the World Cup victory this time around? Or is it just a case that we're really good at football? Yeah, this one is, is about the football itself for a change. Um, because they've won. It's just a, a real innocent and, uh, and at times, of course, slightly over the top celebration uh, of a triumph, of a trophy. Um, people had forgotten what it feels like. A lot of the um, young fans, you know, teenagers, kids, they have never seen Germany win a World Cup. Some of them had never seen Germany win a trophy before. So it, it just means a lot. It makes everybody very, very happy. And I think what is important is that this team is really well liked. I think people are happy for them, happy that this team including the coach, have now been able to do something, to win something after all these false dawns and, and nearly misses. And that's what makes, I think, the celebration so big is that the fact that they're actually well-liked, unlike the 1990 team who were well-respected but also uh, full of people that you've almost felt slightly embarrassed for. 
Really? <laughs> was was that the general perception of that West German team in 1990? It was a load of guys you'd be embarrassed about? Um, you know, I mean, it was a very different time. Football didn't have this um, middle-class image. It was a lot less polished. It wasn't an entertainment product. It was a lot more, uh, how shall I say, um, just unrefined and, and full of sort of alpha males saying slightly horrible things and, and sort of lots of chest beating. And yeah, it just didn't have that resonance and that, that kind of era of, um, of fun and, and even sophistication around. Now, of course, a lot of traditionalists don't like that sort of thing. They, they think it's over-commercialized and it's a bit maybe too polished and there is something in that. But I mean, you just look at the faces of the 1990 players and you look and you compare them to these guys and it's a very different Germany, a very different German national team and, and football itself has a very different position as far as the, uh, the German culture is concerned. I just saw today an article in, in Die Welt which said that these guys, you know, Kroos, Götze, etc., they're the German Pharrells and, and Beyonce's and Rihanna's and, and that is absolutely true. I mean, these guys are pop stars and they are celebrated as such. Yeah. Did Helmut Kohl soak up to the 1990 team? At the time? Yeah, of course. He was there. He was at the final. He tried to um, um, show his, uh, his support. Uh, Merkel has, has been even more. Well, this is the thing I was going uh, to ask you about, Raphael. Because we, yeah. had, we had around the time of Helmut Kohl, we had a leader in this country uh, Charles Hawhey, you may or may not have heard of him. He was a great sportsman. He, he once won the Tour de France. Uh, he got to the quarterfinal of the World Cup. Um, at least so it appeared from his prominent role in all of the TV images surrounding, you know, Stephen Roach's uh, victory in, in Ireland in 1990. Um, and I think most people in Ireland saw that as, for what it was, cynical political opportunism of a, of a low kind. How is Angela Merkel's palling up with the team and taking selfies with them and, and generally sort of basking in the glow of their success, um, I suppose, for the favourable image that it will generate for her? How do Germans see that? I think the vast majority um, don't, don't care. Um, she is so, she's such a skillful politician that whatever happens, she doesn't never seems to be imp implicated by any negative story. And uh, this one... Uh, I think is is just one of those things where uh, people shrug their shoulders and where where it is genuine in a sense is that the, the players actually really really like her. They always talk about her. You know, it's been it's been a few tournaments now where they always come in. I think in two thousand and ten or maybe it was twelve. She saw she saw one of them naked by mistake and it became a big story in in a funny way. And, uh, yeah, they, they just love her. I mean, Podolsky after the final said, yeah, she was back and she was wearing the same top as in the first game. You know, it's just fun. Um, I don't think people take it all too seriously. There is, of course, a great political benefit for her to be associated with these guys. But then it's nothing new. Um, before that, the Social Democratic Chancellor Gerhard Schröder, he would turn up and uh, the joke was that, he had all these different clubs that he was supporting because uh, he would support Hanover, his local team, he'd support Dortmund, he'd support the German national team. And uh, he was even, I think, more cynical than Merkel, who genuinely, I think, seems to like these guys as well. Yeah, actually, you jogged my memory there, Rafael. I think he, he turned up in 2002 and 
Dietmar Haman reports taking a cig- cigar off him or something like this, Gerhard Schroeder, that is. Um, but what about Yogi Love, the other great leader involved here? Uh, I mean, a man who was being questioned but, but by some people. Certainly, I mean, I remember even during the World Cup in Brazil speaking to German supporters who seemed to be quite negative about uh, Joachim Love. But here he stands, the world champion. Um, he's brought this dream. Uh, he's made this dream reality over over a long period of time. Uh, it's all come up uh, trumps for him. What does he do now? Does he is he going to s- continue on as as the manager of the German team, or or is it is it a case of there are no more worlds to conquer now for Joachim Löw, and maybe he'll uh, sit down? He's been a little bit coy in in defining his future plans. I think it's a moment of pause for him. Also a chance, I think, for a lot of these critics to come round. I've seen already a few articles from people saying, you know what, I'm sorry, um, I thought he couldn't do it and I got it wrong. And he was, I think, generally taken aback and hurt by the the amount and the um, the harshness of the criticism that came in after Euro 2012. It became quite personal and uh, people felt that he, he wasn't up to the job, frankly. And after the Algeria game, after the Ghana game, similar doubts were being voiced, maybe rightly so, because Germany played quite poorly in those games. And I think now he's just taking a breather. But I'd be very, very surprised if he doesn't continue. He's got the perfect job. I think he'll get a pay rise. It's The pressure is off now in many ways. You know, winning the Euros will be great and will be wonderful, but... Whatever he'll do, he'll always be the World Cup winner for Germany. So why why take now a club job where you go from doing work every other month to um, having a daily slog? I think he's not up for it at the moment. I think maybe long term he'll see that as a challenge. But I'm very, very convinced that we'll see him at the Euros. Uh, in charge for Germany. Well, steady on, Raphael. You have to qualify first. And, I mean, you've got the likes of Republic of Ireland in there, Scotland, all these teams gunning for the world champions. I'm sorry, German arrogance. Of course, yeah, yeah. Quite quite well well placed and well deserved. Is there any chance that Germany could drop their level? Because the big question is, uh, and it's already being asked about whether they can go and dominate football. I don't know if that actually... I don't know if that, that is. It, well, it's it's something. It's interesting because I mean, I remember we were talking to Raphael before the World Cup. I mean, a few weeks before the World Cup, and you were telling us at that stage, Raphael, about there, you know there were some tensions in that in that squad. And I spoke to you more recently uh, over in Brazil, and you said, you know, people are, are talking about this now. Um, this is people are kind of acknowledging that this was going on. How, what's the current state of play on that? I mean, there's that famous line about you know team spirit is, is an illusion, glimpse in the moment of victory. The German players must love each other now. But are there any um, are there any tensions still there among those players? You know, people are almost worried now that uh, the Bayern and Dortmund fans love each other too much and will take away from the from the spectacle and the. Uh, the theatre of the Bayern Dortmund games in in the seasons to come. I mean, they've really become friends, a lot of them. The tensions have gone. The egos have been put on a back burner. You know, can that survive? Uh, Will things change? I I suppose they will once the the qualifiers come back and once that extraordinary effort, I think, on everyone's behalf um, is no longer there. I think from... From Bierhoff, Löw to the last player on the bench, everyone really tried to win this World Cup. And it was so telling when Schweinsteiger was asked in the mix on after the final, 
what was the difference about this team? Why was this team able to win where the teams before weren't able to do that? And he fought for a second and his answer was, it's because of the players on the bench and how they reacted and how they supported everyone and the spirit and togetherness that we had this time. And I think that tells you a lot because he could have said one million different things at that moment, but he chose to talk about that. And it shows you also by extension just how bad it was before uh, in the year 2012, for example, and even through the qualifiers. So they've done well here. As far as domination is concerned, as far as you know, having a new German era, etc., is concerned, I think it's, um, international football is really not geared up um, for anyone to do that. I think what Spain have done will probably not be surpassed anytime soon. And Germany, for all their talent, will, I think, always be a side with flaws, like every other team that we've seen at this World Cup. It's just the question is, can you hide your flaws better than others? Can you ride your luck? Germany got all the breaks in the final. Uh, Otherwise, we're talking about Argentina being the world champions, and we're talking about a German generation who, again, choked at the final hurdle. So Mm. the, the margins in international football are so small because the teams aren't that good, generally speaking, that... I think it's far too early to talk about a new German uh, Zeitalter or, you know, uh, generations of, of, of dominance. Just a final word on Tony Kroos. Today's news is that he's being unveiled as a Real Madrid player. Um, I guess it's a two-prong question. Can Bayern absorb that loss and do you expect him to be successful at Real? I certainly expect him to be successful uh, at Madrid. I think he's the perfect player for Spanish football. His style, his rhythm, his technique, everything lends itself to to playing in that environment. And let's not forget, I mean, apart from one or two games, maybe against Atletico Madrid and against Barcelona, Real Madrid will absolutely dominate possession and it'll be just wonderful for him to dictate play from, from that position. Bayern... You have to, I think, distinguish the board and some people behind the scenes are, are saying, you know, there was no other choice. We couldn't keep him at the, at the wages that he wanted. And we have other players. Pep, I think, himself would have been very happy to keep him. Um, I think he saw him as somebody who will, would be a buying player for, the, for years to come. It wasn't to be. Interestingly enough, the uh, early stories coming out of, out of Munich are that Laum will continue in midfield and David Alaba, who plays central midfield for, for, uh, for Austria, will perhaps go where Lam has gone before him and convert, at club level at least, from fullback into a central midfielder, with the idea being that Germany will play with three at the back. So we'll have to see how that works Sorry, out. Sorry, that Bayern will play at three at the back? Sorry, you would say yes, uh, okay. with the idea that Bayern will play three at the back. We'll have to see how that works out, but it looks as if Pep is trying to do a 3-4-3 or maybe a 3-5-2 the way Van Gaal played it but of course with much more attacking guys um, as wingbacks so should be interesting yeah absolutely Raphael brilliant thank you thanks Dryer is, is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a furious blast of temper. The hair dryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hair dryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, he threw a hair dryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. 
you think, Ken? Uh, on Tony Gross, it sounds like Rafael feels will be a pretty big success at Real. Oh, I'd say he will be. I mean, as, as Rafael said, most of their games are pretty one-sided. He's a guy who picks out passes, long-distance passes. He's going to have Ronaldo. He's going to have Gareth Bale. Sometimes short-distance passes back to... Gonzalo Higuain. This goes back to the thing we talked about results. If, if yeah. Higuain had finished that chance, people are saying Tony Kroos, Butler. Yeah, Kroos. Yeah. Kroos. It would have been the most famous back pass. It, yeah. I mean, Stephen Gerrard at long last is breathing. <laughs> it's been a last. rough couple of months. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. And the thing about Kroos is as well in that situation, and I often find it across all sports, is that if you say Kroos has just made a terrible blunder there, he's handed the World Cup to Argentina. Nothing to Kroos. Kroos's part in that. Uh, action was done once Higuain got the ball. Yeah. What Higuain did afterwards has nothing to do with Cross. Yeah, you know, like Cross has already made he's his. The, he's fatal the same moment. man who made the fatal error yeah. without the fatal consequence, and uh, therefore gets away with it. It's a, there's a philosophical le- lesson for us there. Something for us all. To think I, I should say, oh, I think that Bayern Munich are going to be pretty upset about that. I mean, what a disaster for them! They've just lost one of the stars of the World Cup at a cheap price, and this keeps happening by the way, to the German clubs. This is one thing that they maybe want to sit down and have a think about in terms of long-term planning. When you do have good players, try and not let their contract expire just after their you know, best season. Because Real Madrid have got a whole bunch of them now on, at knockdown prices. They got Nuri Shaheen, who didn't work out for them ultimately. He's back at Dortmund now. But they got him cheap. They got Ozil cheap from Werder Bremen. And now they've got Kroos on the cheap from Bayern. And you're talking about these are the kind of the best players in in the Bundesliga that year, and uh, and and Ramsey keep almost stealing them. Mm. So uh, that's something they might want to just in the, when they're having their next sit down about you know how to next how to do plan. things how to do things perfectly for the next ten years. Maybe that's one thing they might consider. All right, well, Ken, absolutely great to have you back. I must say, isn't it, Karen? It's it's Good just great back, to so. see him. Just great to see him to hold him. To rub his hair and just tell him he's a great little fella. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed today's show. We have another show out for you today featuring loads of great stuff. US Murph on LeBron. I know a lot of people were tweeting looking to get us to talk to US Murph about that doping in rugby. And we talked to Liam Griffin, former Wexford manager. He's involved now. He's somewhat vague on what his exact role is with the Wexford team. We'll see if we can prize anything out of him. But we see him there on the sideline giving off the good vibes. He's a, seems to be quite an inspirational guy. And we'll talk to him about how they're going so far. They've got Waterford, of course, in the qualifiers now this weekend. Do have a read over the weekend. I know Ken is working here on a big piece about Germany and Yogi Love for the Irish Times. So have a read of that. In the meantime, thanks very much for uh, listening today. Take care. Thanks, lads. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, thanks Ken. Kieran, thanks, Owen. I'll talk to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.